We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, the 2-2 two and two Baltimore Ravens are going to be playing host against a big division rival in the 2-2 two and two Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday night primetime in front of the whole nation. The Ravens are 18-2 in home primetime games. That's the good news. The bad news, they've lost five straight home games. They're going to try to get things back on track, but it won't be easy. Thank you for joining the Ravens Vault. I am Sarah Ellison alongside my partner, Bobby Trossett, and boy, do we have a lot to get to in this preview. We've got lots of sound to dissect, both from the Bengals and the Ravens side. We've got later coming up an interview with Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio. We'll get his take on both of these teams and also his general take on the Ravens. So much to get to. Bobby, bring us in here. How are you feeling about this matchup? What a tumultuous four weeks it's been really of the 2022 season you know lots of ups and downs as you might expect from just the, the beginning of a new season and different parts gelling and whatnot but if there's one thing for sure is that this Ravens defense has been under fire early and often not only throughout this week but just collectively I would say throughout these four weeks combined from not only a national media standpoint, but regional and right on down to local as well. And I think we should probably start with what Marlon Humphrey had to say this week, because he didn't want to talk about last week against the bills. And he certainly didn't want to talk about what went down last year against this team. That's coming to town on Sunday. Here's Marlon. We didn't really think about last year. We think about this year. So we have lost two this year. Uh, we don't want to make it three. So going forward, we'll try to get that streak uh, kind of ended. Yeah, we ain't really talking about last week, Norman, either. This is a new week, Cincinnati Bengals week, so I'm excited to uh, get to work on them. Yeah, we ain't talking about last week. That'll be the third time I said that, but this Cincinnati Bengals week, we're looking forward to this game. Sunday night in the bank, I know the fans will be loud, so I'm really excited for that atmosphere. Say the question again. How are you going to utilize their offense? Yeah, I thought you said something about last year, but... Um... Sarah, I think we can both probably agree that, you know, we we love Marlon's leadership, and he's take, he's holding himself accountable when he probably doesn't need to. And we'll get to that in just a bit because he has not been the glaring problem within an inconsistent secondary. We get it. It's probably a, still a, a tough pill to swallow what happened Sunday against the Bills. And I'm sure they're still thinking about what happened last year in a lot of ways, not having an answer for the Cincinnati passing attack and specifically the playmakers that Joe Burrow has at his disposal. We'll get to those guys in just a bit. At the same time, I think it'd be naive of us to not talk about some of these 
issues that have been plaguing the Ravens, not just last year, because that is a different season. There's different personnel and whatnot, but specifically in the Bills game. And of course, in the second half against Miami, the Ravens haven't proven that their defense can close out games yet. And it's clear to me throughout this week that that's known. That's been talked about and that's understood. They're certainly not they're they're not satisfied with this at one winning drive and they're acknowledging it. What you're saying is true, right? The the personnel is different from last year, especially given the injuries. The thing that is the same is that the past defense is still ranked dead last. So that's what's the same. The Ravens gave up 82 combined points to the Bengals in in their matchups last year. Now, I don't know that they're going to give that much points up again, but we're not at the point yet where the defense has turned things around. And as you said, that's not on Marlon. Marlon's been playing lights out. I think he's ranked number four among DBs right now in allowed passer rating. Uh, so that's not on him. I think Marcus Peters has been playing phenomenal. Brandon Stevens has been pretty good. The problem with, with this is that the Bengals have three incredible wide receivers. It's a three-headed monster with Higgins, Boyd, and Chase. Plus, they got tight ends. We know Hayden Hurst is going to be coming back, uh, meeting his former team that drafted him. And so all it takes for things to go wrong is one breakdown. So if there's one rookie that's out of place or, or one miscommunication, things break down. And the Bengals and those wide receivers will take advantage of it. And this is what I like about Marlon. He talked about, in addition to not wanting to talk about last year in the Bills last week, he did say that it's been humbling, very, very humbling to go in and see on everybody's talking about how they're ranked number 32. Shoot, we're still trying to grow up. I mean, we're, we're 30, we're last. I was in the cafeteria this morning, look up there. The cafeteria will humble you. You know, it got, you got, you know, the Good Morning Football, NFL Network, Stephen A. You know, it's something I want to do one day, so I think some guys will be mad at me one day. But it's humbling to look up there and be like, dang, we got Marcus Peters, Ballhawk, got me, Marcus Williams, Dog, Chuck, all these guys, great players. But, you know, we're still trying to come together. I mean, to look up there and be eating lunch and see 32nd, you're just like, it's great to see because, you know, I, I like to stay humble. But... We're still trying to gel together, um, and we really want to get that, you know, 30-second down. Um, it's, uh, it, it'll be a tough road, but I'm really excited for it, especially with uh, this bunch coming in. It definitely will, we'll definitely all have our hands full. Yeah, so again, more leadership right there, even though he's not the problem. You know, he's feeling, you know, a tremendous amount of responsibility to, to right the ship. And what I find interesting, Bobby, so just kind of taking a step back, because we do look back um, a little bit more because that's what we do in sports. And that's what sports talk is all about. We kind of talk about, you know, past matchups and current matchups. The Ravens weren't themselves last year and the Bengals took advantage. And this offseason, after the Bengals had they were really feeling themselves after their Super Bowl appearance. I mean, really feeling themselves. And I kind of want to revisit some of the things that have been said in the offseason just to kind of get an idea because I also think it plays into, and it's not to like, I don't think that the, the Bengals said anything too crazy. I'm not trying to put that out there. But to me, it's, it's this idea that this rivalry is heating up in a way that the rivalry with the Steelers used to be. 
And the Ravens' rivalry with the Steelers are still good, right? It's still, it's always going to be there. Uh, but they lost their franchise quarterback, and they're not the same team just yet. And right now, it's the Bengals who pose the biggest threat. And so I love those days back with when Ray Lewis and Ed Reed were around and, and Heinz Ward over there and, and you know, just all this. that There was talk that accompanied it. There was a little bit more um, passion there. There just was, and you couldn't deny it. And so I look back on this offseason to how the Bengals were kind of feeling themselves, and, you know, rightfully so, but I want to look back just to kind of, like, remind us where this rivalry kind of left off. So this first one is the Bengals' three wide receivers talking about, in some, some games, it was just easy for them to make big plays. Or y'all sit on the sideline, y'all bombing on people, and you're like, man, this shit's actually easy. Nah, word, yeah. <laughs> All the time, you know what I'm saying? Ravens game. Ravens game, Chiefs game. All the time, we, we on the sideline, like, they can't double all of us. Right. Well, somebody got to go off, so that's how we look at it, you know what I'm saying? If they doubling, you know, one or two of us, next person man up. As you know, it's always more out there, so that's how we go. And then on top of that, we've got Joe Burrow. Here's what he had to say this offseason about the Ravens rivalry. You like going up against them, the Ravens, Lamar? I love playing the Ravens. They just had two crazy games last year. Yeah, I love playing the Ravens because they talk. They talk a lot? They talk. I love that. I, th- I feel like the score was 47, like 20. It was a lot too little. Yeah, but both times. Yeah. you beat them one time, they beat you one time. No, we beat them both. Oh, really? Yeah, I threw for 520-something in the second one, and I threw for 400-something in the first one. Fucking Jamar man. had like 260-some yards in the first game. Yeah. But... Yeah, I love playing the Ravens. They like to talk. And so when I don't I don't start the talking, but I usually if somebody, you know, pokes me, I can talk a little bit. And then finally, I just want to look at Marlon Humphrey. He was at the Super Bowl when the Bengals were there. He could tell they were feeling themselves, and this is what he had to say. I've I've been enjoying in a, in a weird way, seeing all the Bengals get this love because I'm like, man, I can't wait to play them twice in the division. So it's going to make the division that much more, you know, heated up. And I think, uh, you know, right now it's like, it's weird. We're like, it used to be the Steelers, Ravens, and now the Bengals have, you know, come and just gotten here to the Super Bowl and just done big things. But I'm very excited to, you know, get, see who wins this game so we can, we can get uh, all outs on 2022. So, Bobby, I like it. I like it. Joe Burrow's saying that the Ravens like to talk. He likes to talk back. It was easy for those three wide receivers a few times last year. We can't deny reality. And then Marlon was looking forward. He said he couldn't wait to, to play them twice. And now it's here, and it's at a time where he's feeling humbled. But how do you feel about this rivalry? Like, to me, it is. It's, it's, the, new, it's the newer, more heated rivalry that kind of replaces the Steelers while they reload after losing their franchise quarterback. Yeah, I don't have a problem with any of what I just heard. I'm not saying that you do. I love it. I mean... That's great. I love a good little back and forth. It adds a little zest, a little flavor to, yeah, it is sort of a renewed rivalry. We know that this team went back and forth in the Andy Dalton, Joe Flacco days, and there's a lot of different personalities now, a lot of different playmakers, and the teams are just constructed to be so much more explosive offensively than back in those days that I just referenced. So, yeah, I I have absolutely zero problem with it. I think that both teams can talk. We know that, yeah. right? Not just the Ravens that that talk, and it's certainly not just the Bengals that talk. Both of these, both of these teams are hard hitting, mean, uh, mean mugging kind of defenses, and you know they have a lot to. The Ravens have a lot more to prove at this point in the season, you would think, because hey, until they prove otherwise, we've talked about this time and time again. Not only 
are these Bengals, the reigning AFC North champions, but they're the AFC champions who obviously came out of the conference and, and represented the conference in the Super Bowl. And until the Ravens prove that they have an answer for this high-flying passing attack uh, that, that, let's face it, embarrassed them last year in terms of num- numbers and overall outcomes, then you know the Bengals are still going to be looked at as the favorites in this division, in my estimation. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to when you're coming off the 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 Super Bowl appearance. But I will say this, Bobby. That's an interesting thing that you posed, where you said the Ravens have more to prove. Well, you know, we're laser focused on the Ravens, obviously, as we cover the team. And at the same time, I think about the Bengals and the expectations that they had coming off of that Super Bowl appearance, and then they started out zero and two. Now. They're trending in the right direction, but it wasn't what people expected. I mean, they completely rebuilt their offensive line because they knew, and we all saw in the Super Bowl, that the offensive line wasn't getting it done, and Joe Burrow was, like, getting hit and running for his life and all of that. And so they brought in four new offensive linemen, either from free agency or the draft. And that first game, Joe Burrow was sacked seven times, seven times. And um, and so they are trending in the right direction. Obviously, it helps that, you know, they're trending after wins against the Jets, who the Ravens have also beat. And then they did beat the Dolphins, but we all know that Tua was knocked out of that. And so it's I think both teams are trying to prove that they are better than they are. And and to do that on a Sunday night, it's going to be a big deal to both teams. Now, I do want to just kind of get fans. I always like to look, Bobby, at general rankings. I think that's a, it helps with 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 previews and understanding where everybody's at. So we've got on the offensive side, these are both right now in terms of yards, kind of middle of the road. The Ravens are slightly above average. They rank number 12, whereas the Bengals rank number 16. Okay. Now, if you look at points, though, and that's what really matters. Ravens ranked number three in the league on offense, scoring points. Bengals number 13. So, so you know, Bengals, sh- I think, would expect to be much higher than number 13, given how explosive they've been in the past. So that's where they stand on offense. And, of course, the Bengals' rush offense is not good right now, which is surprising. Joe Mixon had to call a meeting. With the Bengals' offensive line, they're trying to get on the same page. They rank number 26 right now. That would really help the Ravens if they can keep the Bengals one-dimensional. Even though their one dimension is phenomenal, it only ranks number eight right now, only. Their pass, pass offense, only. But we know that they can be better. So if all they have to focus on is that pass game, that could be huge. I won't hold my breath on that one because if there's one thing that you know, this Ravens defensive line is is capable of of allowing is those chunk yards, those chunk mm-hmm. plays. And, you know, with no Michael Pierce swallowing up the middle and obviously he's done for the year after opting to go for season ending surgery. You know, Sarah, one of the things I think you and I both do throughout the week, just because of how much it takes effort wise and, and time commitment wise to cover this team that we're that we're uh, entrenched in on a daily basis you got to kind of look elsewhere, other podcasts, other content creators, other pieces to learn a little bit about and get spruced up on, on the team that's coming in. And I did that this week. I know you have as well. And one along the lines of, of Joe Mixon calling a meeting with his offensive lineman, there's a bunch of new gelling parts, kind of like in Baltimore in some, in some ways, 
there's there's talk and speculation that Joe Mixon, and this might be an overreaction by I'm literally I'm paraphrasing what I've heard on on Bengals podcast this week. They think that Joe Mixon's fallen off. He's hit his veteran wall. And so let's remember mm. that and revisit that on Sunday night after midnight when we're taping the post-game instant reaction episode because if this Ravens defense allows chunk plays and allows Joe Mixon to do what he's done in the past, which has hurt them both on the ground and in the air, he's a very reliable and capable pass catcher, then what well, I mean, what a what a different narrative there will be in Cincinnati and it'll all be because of sort of the um, you know, the Ravens defensive line allowing the, the Bengals to get going in that category. Yeah, well, I mean, especially if they attack the outsides, I just feel like the Ravens haven't been able to seal the edge. But uh, listen, they know the Bengals better than we do, so maybe they're right. But I am not so sure. I mean, I thought he had a great week one. Week two, he had to leave the game with an ankle ankle injury. Week three, he left the game with an ankle injury. Week four, he didn't leave the game, but that ankle could still be lingering. And again, that offensive line is still gelling together. So uh, it would be wishful. I hope they're right. I hope Joe Mixon has hit his, his you know, veteran wall. He's only averaging, I think it's 2.7 yards per carry. Not very high. So I hope they're right. But something tells me that, you know, come the next time Ravens and Bengals meet, that if he's over his ankle injury and the offensive line has gelled, you know, that they they might be more explosive, but either way, the the Ravens they that is the Bengals. If they add their running game back to their explosive passing game, they're going to be dangerous. So it's definitely on the Ravens to keep them looking like the 26th ranked rushing attack that they are. Sarah, you mentioned him a couple minutes ago, but the Ravens are going to be reuniting with Hayden Hurst, their their former first round pick. And uh, at the tight end position, of course, who I think we were all feeling a little bittersweet when when he left a few years ago. Uh, my question for you is, are you concerned about who's matching up with him right in the middle part of the Ravens defense? Because he is a big body. He clogs up space, but he's also deceivingly quick, deceivingly fast, great route runner, great hands. And I think, you know, as much as we're going to talk about the three-headed monster with Higgins and Boyd and Chase. You can't forget about the big guy, the big fella on the outside there. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting because Burrow had called this week. He said that um, he felt like the Ravens have the best cornerback duo in the league, um, referring to Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters. And um, he's right even though those two are going to have their hands full along with Brandon Stevens with the receivers, the safeties are going to have to help with that. Like, I mean, they're going to have to come over and try to pick up Higgins or, you know, any of these guys chase. I mean, they don't want to let these big explosive plays to go over their head and chase, you know, just took over games last year. And so even though you have all pro tackles, the safeties are going to be watching those receivers. And so that means it's going to rely on linebackers and, you know, safeties were called upon, depending on, on what looks they're getting, to stop, you know, somebody like Hayden Hurst. And, and yeah, do I have concerns that, like, a Patrick Queen uh, is going to be able to defend against Hayden Hurst or their other tight ends. Yeah, that's 
that's scary. And that's what makes their, their offense even more scary is that they have those three, but they also have some tight ends that can do some damage. So yeah, uh, I'm a bit concerned. Uh, and while we're, while we're talking about that, then on, on the defensive side, let's run through some of these rankings, Bobby. So we know that the Ravens defense is just in disarray. They've had really hot halves and quarters and then have obviously fallen apart. So right now in terms of total defense, Ravens are ranked number 30th and in pass defense, number 32. We've talked about this rush defense, hoping to keep Joe Mixon down. They're ranked, you know, pretty much in the middle tied at number 14. So we all know the story here in Baltimore. They're also 23rd and giving up points per game. So they give up a lot, a lot of yards. They have a hard time finishing. The Ravens rank number 27 in fourth down percentage. Ew. So teams, if they go on fourth down, they've got a pretty good chance of converting. They rank, ew, number 25 in red zone defense. So if you make it into the red zone, you got a pretty good chance of scoring a touchdown. But where, where, where the Ravens have themselves going on defense is the turnovers. Like that's their saving grace. That's their saving grace. And then on the Bengals, actually, I've you know, they've been carrying this offense, which is the most explosive side. That's what's crazy is the Bengals offense. You think at some point is going to start clicking. And until they do that, it's the Bengals defense that have kind of been carrying a, a little bit. They're number 11 overall. I think this is an underrated defense, an underrated defense. Uh, they're they're number eight in allowing points per game. Uh, a little bit weaker in the pass defense, number four against the rush defense, but, you know, Lamar Jackson always changes the, the dynamics there. So uh, so this feels like a complete team, especially if if the offense gets going, but I don't want to sleep on this defense. I think they're very underrated. Sarah, can you imagine where this Ravens team would be without the takeaways that you just referenced? Huh. 10 as a team through four weeks, 10 as a team through four weeks. They had 15 as a group collectively over an entire 2021 season. Now, again, you don't want to play the comparison game because of what they were dealt with in the injury department last year. We've said that to, it's, it's nauseating how many times we've said that at this point, but they've made, they've made upgrades and the upgrades have lived up to expectations in the takeaway turnover department through four weeks where the issue is, and Marlon alluded to this off the top and we've, we've discussed it throughout our morning ball episodes this week is they have not meshed yet as a unit in all three phases up and down the defense and, and all three levels, I should say. And that's going to be a problem. You can take away the football as much as you possibly want. Okay, a little, you know, I'm air quoting a little bit here. <laughs> but if you can't finish games, and Lamar talked about that as well for his, and, and the offense deserves a little bit of blame as well for putting up a goose egg in that second half against Buffalo. But if your defense can't win you games against the Buffalo team, Sarah, they're going to have more games like that where this offense just isn't going to put up 30 points every single week. I mean, going in, they were averaging over 30 points per game, but that's hard to maintain week in and week out throughout a grueling 17 game season. And we know how stout Buffalo's defense has been. There's going to be more games like that. So I guess my point is, can the Ravens defense get back to when they're needed to be this, can they be counted on? Are they reliable enough to win you a game when needed, when Lamar's offense isn't chugging along as we're so used to seeing? Because those games are going to happen. Yeah, well, I mean, I was going to speak to this during our, our, our um, keys to the game, so maybe I'll just jump to it now. Uh, you know, Bobby, Bobby I, I got into a 
a little bit of a Twitter exchange, just kind of a debate with somebody. Actually, this morning, before we taped this, this is Thursday morning. And, um, you know, it went back to the whole, you know, should John Harbaugh have taken the points? And you and I have been clear. We've said all week we think that John Harbaugh should have taken the points. That being said, the way that this person was arguing it was so like, how could John Harbaugh not put it on his defense? He's not trusting his defense. And I'm like, do you trust the defense? (laughs) Because I don't. You know what I mean? Again, I would have taken the points, but not with a lot of confidence that the defense was going to close it out. I still think the Bills were going to win based off of how both sides of the of the of the Ravens went cold, right? And so, okay, so what you're asking is, can the defense do a little bit more cuz it's unrealistic for the offense to put up 30 plus points per game, right? And so when I think about keys to winning this game, I don't have confidence in this defense against these weapons. I don't. And so to me, I have to rule that out. Now, if they do and they are able to pull together, I'm, I would love to be wrong. And I would love to start regaining my trust. But trust is earned. This is, as Marlon said, as Marlon said, numbers don't lie. You're number 32 in pass defense. And so to me, the key to the game is to finish on offense. Because I have more confidence that that can happen. And I feel bad about it. I feel bad having to put all, all the pressure on Lamar Jackson in the offense when, by the way, Bateman not be – we're going to go to the injuries, but Bateman not be there. But even without Bateman, I think that it's more plausible that the Ravens finish on offense than it is that the the, the defense is going to slow this team down. And so this actually might be a good time to go ahead and play that quote from Lamar where he talks about on his end – Oh, I, when, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying any of these losses are on Lamar on the offense. Uh, do they need to finish? Yeah. But it, they're not the reason why they're losing. But I'm just saying going forward, I think that that's going to have to be the key. I, I wouldn't say what we're not doing. I, I just say we just need to keep putting up points because we're doing that at the beginning of the game. Um, we need to finish drives. If anything, no penalties. Um, I feel like that, that slowed us down a lot this past weekend. Uh, the, the little thing is the little details that, that we're messing up right now, and that's why we're not closing out games. And Bobby, I just want to be clear. Finishing is more than just continue to score in the fourth quarter, which that is also it. But the Ravens offense rank 23rd on fourth down conversions. 23rd. So it's also finishing drives. It's finishing drives. They, they're kind of just above average on third down conversions. So when I talk about finish, I mean like finish drives. Finish what you get started. And like Lamar said, Get, you know, they were a lot much cleaner in the penalty department. They got to be cleaner in that. It sets, the, it sets the team back. So to me, to me, that's a key to winning this game. It's the rave that both sides have to finish, but I have to think more that whoever's going to have the ball last, if it's Joe Burrow or the Ravens, if Joe Burrow has the ball last and it comes down to this, you know, one possession game and Joe Burrow has the ball last, there's no way I have any confidence in the defense stopping Joe Burrow. But if the Ravens can end on offense, they didn't get it done against the Bills. But I have more confidence that they could get it done next time. So to me, that's the key. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, so let's get into uh, some injuries here, Bobby. Um, the Ravens, um, it just feels like you you get some guys back and then you lose some guys. Let's let's start with this. Ronnie Stanley, we've been talking about this for weeks because he was taken off the PUP list before week one. In your view, last week you were very clear. This isn't it. I said 50-50. You said it's not it. This is not the week against the Bills. Here we are, week five. Ronnie Stanley has played. Uh, he was full participant Wednesday. We'll see what he is Thursday and Friday in the past weeks. He was full twice and then took a rest day. Is this the week? Will we see Ronnie Stanley against the Bengals? Let me just be clear with my whole, like, it was a guess last week, right? Like, I, I didn't know if he was going to play or not, but I guessed right. And so to say at this point that I have a clear understanding of what their plan is would, would just be so disingenuous. I have no idea <laughs> what they're doing. Okay. I don't know how much of this is psychological at this point, Sarah, versus... Uh, the, the physical nature, obviously, of coming back from a very complicated, multiple procedure kind of injury. We, we know that he revealed for the first time last week in, in the media scrum that after that week one premature return in Vegas, he had to have a separate, completely separate, what he called lower body procedure. We don't know if that's ankle related. We don't know if that's leg related. I don't know. But that tells me that it's it's been a very complicated process and i'm sure it's worn him down mentally and psychologically maybe even more so than physically at this point so while i i would like to think that this is the week and why come out and sh and try and sort of as we said you know set the record straight and break your silence without a return looming 
at the same time, I, like I said, it's a total crapshoot. Where are you at with it? Well, so I think there's like expectations are everything, right? So there's some people that have long moved on from Ronnie. Um, and so they don't even, it's just like, whatever, he's not there. So for me, I have said, and I've said this since, um, I remember going on 105.7 The Fan and I said back then that I didn't, even though he came off PUP, let's take this slow, whatever. And I had said, I saw him coming back around week four. That's what I had seen. So that, but then based off of the fact of what things were saying and this and that, I, I said, well, week four, last week I said on the show, I think it's a 50, 50. Okay. So that's always been my expectation was around week four. Didn't, didn't kill me that it wasn't exactly week four. I said around week four, if it's not this week, I will hit where other people have already been, which is that, you know, they just have, they have no, they have like, they don't even know what to say about it anymore. And I've just kind of moved on. So to me, it, it, like, I didn't expect it last week. That's why I said it was 50, 50, thought it, thought it was still up in the air. If it's not this week, I'll be more at a loss. It, whereas the first three or f- three and four weeks, I wasn't at a loss. If it's not this week, I'll be at a loss. Now I'm not saying he for sure is gonna play but I will be at a loss about it because that's two weeks now with full practices under his belt, assuming he, he is a full participant again Thursday and maybe he would take a break, you know, Friday as many veterans do and returns uh, or players returning for injury do. So, so it'll, it'll be interesting to me. I, I feel like it, it very well could be this week. And if it's not, I'll be more at a loss and probably be more in that category with everyone else. That's, that's been like, bah, I've moved on, you know? Meanwhile, in Ronnie's absence, it's obviously been somewhat over a revolving door over the last year plus at left tackle. But let's give Daniel Falele, like we did in the post-game instant reaction episode, a little bump right now. Because in his first career NFL start, that wasn't just his first ever start in the NFL. It was his first ever start at left tackle at any level. 43 pass blocking snaps, zero sacks allowed. He was going up against the Super Bowl MVP, the former Super Bowl MVP and Von Miller. He got a lot of help chipping, obviously, from Pat Ricard, Mark Andrews, and Isaiah Likely. But, man, I mean, you talk about exceeding expectations, Sarah. That's That was a heck of an effort from the young rook. Absolutely. I don't know where the Ravens would be right now without Daniel Falele. And I don't want to take anything away from what he's doing because, as you said, what he's doing is absolutely phenomenal. You know, but would there be a difference if a healthy Ronnie's out there? For sure. And I still don't know how healthy Ronnie is because the Ravens, you know, I remember Harbaugh talking on Monday and it wasn't even really speaking in terms of filet. Like the the question wasn't about filet, but they were asking about the ways that they were able to attack. And he was saying that they couldn't really do these high, low concepts, this and that, because they had a chip a lot. They had a chip a lot. So they are giving filet some help as they should. I'm not saying they shouldn't. And that shouldn't take away from what he's doing, given the background that you just pointed out. Although, but we have to notice that there are, there are levels before getting hurt. Ronnie's an all pro. You don't need all this chipping. Right. And so you have more at your disposal to do with running backs and fullbacks and tight ends and all that type of thing. And so I give all the credit. And not only do I give a ton of credit to Falele, I feel like, on the other side, Morgan Moses, he's been, he's been pretty solid, but he hasn't been great in run blocking. And I feel like Falele has played well enough that it should even be, that it should at least be a conversation 
that if Ronnie is back, whether it's this week or later on, whenever he returns, that when he does return, has Philele done enough to go ahead and go back to his natural right spot at right tackle, if he's played this well at left left tackle, would he be an improvement over Morgan Moses? And then you make Morgan Moses kind of the swing tackle guy. That's how impressed I've been with Philele. Uh, but I just want to recognize that it still limits the offense when you have to help with the chipping. You're doing my guy Morgan like that, but you're right. He's been uh, <laughs> slacking a little bit in that department in recent weeks and, and not as clean as you would like from a vet there on the right-hand side. You know, it's funny with Daniel, I keep going back to what we heard about him coming out of Minnesota the day of the draft for the Ravens, right? Like he's a developmental guy. You know, you're not going to see him very much. You, you can't expect to use him or rely on him all that much in year one. Is this guy blowing out the, all those expectations and scouting analysis or what? I mean, what a great story. It really is. It, it really is a great story. And I just want to be clear I want to be clear, though, my idea of putting Philele in, to, in for Morgan, if I hadn't seen Philele play so well at left tackle, it's not like if I had never seen him and Morgan was playing the way he is that I'd be like calling to 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 bench Morgan Moses. It's it's halfway. Yeah, Morgan hasn't been great in, in run blocking, but not so bad that I'd be, call, be calling for his benching. It's more that I'm just like that. It hasn't been great run blocking, fine in pass blocking. And Philele's played so well. That I'm like, well, it's you know, it's more compliment to 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 Philele than a complete diss on 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 Morgan Moses. So, but yeah, but yeah, to your point, like it was like we won't see him this year. Give him a year to develop, and then we'll see if he can play right tackle in this league, you know, in in, in his sophomore year. So that's what happens sometimes. Sometimes you get thrown in the fly, fire out of necessity, and you find out who you are. And I like what we're seeing and what we're finding out with Philele. So let's move on to your to um, Bateman and Justice Hill. So Bateman. He is out with a mid, midfoot sprain. Harbaugh said that he was hopeful he could be back, but he uses that term vaguely all the time. I'm not expecting Bateman back. Uh, we know that Justice Hill, he Harbaugh did confirm that he will be out with the hamstring for a couple of, uh, sometimes, a couple of weeks. It's not going to be long-term. I don't know what that what exactly that means. I don't expect him in the next several weeks. And so how do you feel like that's going to affect the offense if Bateman indeed doesn't play and we already know Justice Hill won't. Well, first and foremost, I, I think this whole pitch count, yeah, that's no longer for J.K. Dobbins. And that's what he's been literally breathing down the necks of the coaching staff for in recent weeks. So maybe that's a good sign for him and he can they can kind of unleash him. Without Rashad Bateman, you'd have to think you're going to get a heavy dose of Devin Duvernay. But Sarah, coming off a, a week, a very uncharacteristically Quiet week and credit the Bills defense. Leslie Frazier seems to be a wizard going after Lamar Jackson in this offense in recent years, but a very quiet week for Mark Andrews. Can he get back in specifically with those quick hitters down the middle that these two guys, 89 and eight have made so much bread on in, in recent years as a great tandem. You know, can he get back involved in this offense? Because without Rashad Bateman, I think we can both agree that they're going to need 89 and they're certainly going to need Duvernay as well. And, and maybe even that means Demarcus Robinson gets more snaps than he has in recent weeks as well. Yeah, it's just too bad because Bateman is so good at getting open on one-on-one -on -one matchups. Like he just, uh, you know, he just, he, I mean, his release and the moves that he puts on are just filthy. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's a loss. But, it, I mean, Duvernay has been just a complete revelation. I've been so surprised by the amount he's been able to um, 
you know, produce. It's just been, it's just been so good. But yeah, Demarcus Robinson's gonna have to be out there. We're gonna see more of James Prochet. They obviously signed these two wide receivers to the to the practice squad, which I'm not expecting too much there. Maybe a little flyer with Isabella, the former second round pick. Um, but but that's gonna be the three. I think we're finally a lot of P fans have been saying give Prochet an opportunity. I still don't know that he's going to get a ton of looks and a ton of snaps, but he will have more of an opportunity here. And I'm nervous about the running game. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I, I, You say the pitch count is gone. I'm not so sure that will happen. I mean, obviously, each week he's going to keep getting more, and maybe he'd get a bit more than than he would have. But I still think that they're going to – they've been so cautious with injuries, understandably, that I'm nervous. I don't have any confidence in in Mike Davis – I don't have any confidence in Drake. Drake will probably act be active again. And I'm just counting down the days for Gus Bus, who obviously returned to practice, but they're going to need to evaluate him as he, as he comes back. That's if it follows the trend of all the other players that are coming back from those season ending injuries, he's going to need, need two to three weeks of ramp up period, man. I just hope JK stays healthy and can keep things going. And as we know, uh, Lamar's, you know, usually a leading rusher anyway. So, um, but I do feel like when they lost Justice Hill on that last drive, I feel like that hurt the Ravens when they they ultimately didn't score on that 14 play drive. So I think it's I think those are those are two big losses, and I don't know that we can underestimate them. And just think the offense can move forward as as they've been doing. All right, well, we'll go ahead and move into our interview with Pro Football Talks Mike Florio, and make sure you check out his new book Playmakers. Here's Mike. So, Mike, as you know, you've probably seen this stat floating around the Internet. The Ravens have trailed for just 14 total seconds this season, yet they sit two and two. So we got to ask you, what do you make of this team through four weeks of football? Well, this isn't the Ravens team that any of us is used to seeing. So heavily reliant upon offense, a running game so heavily reliant upon the quarterback, a defense that can't be trusted to hold a lead. There have been four games this year where teams have come back from 17 or more points down to win or tie, two of those teams have been playing against the Ravens to erase those 17-point or more deficits. So the Ravens are responsible for half of the games so far this year where teams have blown 17-point or more leads. The defense just can't be trusted. And with all the talk about that decision to go for it on fourth and goal last week, 20-20, to late in the fourth quarter, Ultimately, John Harbaugh didn't trust his defense. You kick the field goal, you don't trust your defense to keep the Bills from scoring a touchdown. And that made it the right decision. I don't know that I like the play call or the execution, but it made it the right decision to go for it because he just doesn't trust his defense, nor should he at this point trust his defense. And so, Mike, kind of looking from the outside in, what you just said, you're right. We're, I mean, following the Ravens for so long, it's been defense and, and running attack. It almost feels like there's a little bit right now of a identity crisis going on. I mean, from the outside looking in, how would you describe the Ravens' identity? Well, we, we did this yesterday on PFT Live. We did word association with a handful of teams. And for the Ravens, I went way back to 1984, which is probably before the time of most of the people listening to this. But the catchphrase of the year was, where's the beef from the old Wendy's commercial? And I look at the Ravens and I say, where is it defensively? And where is it in the running game other than Lamar Jackson? Where's that big, bad Ravens team we're used to, to seeing? And that's the problem. It can't all be Lamar Jackson, but it currently is. And even though the team is two and two, 
there's so much talk about Lamar Jackson and this bet that he's placed on himself. I mean, really, what choice do the Ravens have at this point but to give the guy everything he wants? He's all they have. And until they get the pieces around him to allow things to operate without it being so focused on him, it's going to be a tough season. They should be very glad to be 2-2. Two and two. And I think John Harbaugh can coach them into some better situations as the season unfolds. And I think that begins on Sunday night against the Bengals. But, yeah, this is just not the Ravens we're accustomed to. And, and we, we develop biases and stereotypes based on uniforms. You know, last year it was difficult to look at the Bengals' uniform and think they're good. This year it's hard to look at the Jaguars' uniform and think they're good. It's hard to look at the Ravens' uniform and think they're anything other than a team that's going to get off the bus and kick the crap out of you and stifle you offensively and run the ball down your throat when it wants to, when it needs to, when it has to. And and that's just the reality that we're dealing with right now. And Mike, I guess this is probably just a comparison game that we in the media tend to play before a, you know, a national primetime game that, of course, you're going to be working on Sunday. But uh, when you look at Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow and what they've done for their respective franchises – so far through the early parts of their careers. Who are you starting with a franchise with tomorrow if you had the choice? If I'm starting a franchise tomorrow and I'm picking between the two guys right now, I'm taking Joe Burrow just because I'm concerned about the wear and tear on Lamar Jackson and is there going to be a point in the next five years or so where he becomes like Cam Newton, who looks like the same guy but doesn't play like the same guy because of the accumulation of getting banged up over the years. So that would make me err on the side of Joe Burrow who has taken a beating himself but doesn't rely upon that mobility and agility to move the chains. He just needs to be able to stand in the pocket and get rid of the football. So I would go with Burrow if I'm starting a franchise. But right now, based on how they're playing at this moment, I would go with Lamar Jackson. Like shifting back to Cincinnati for Sunday night too, Like, what have your impressions been of the Bengals so far through four weeks? Obviously a slow start, but they seem to be kind of – finding their rhythm right now in recent weeks. Yeah, look, they could have beaten the Steelers and they should have beaten the Steelers. And we've seen several games this year where the better team just draws a bunch of bad cards and they lose. We saw it happen to the Bills against the Dolphins. We saw it happen to the Chiefs against the Colts. We saw it happen to the Bengals against the Steelers in in week one. And, you know, the Bengals got surprised by the Cowboys in week two. I think there's a chance the Bengals just thought they'd show up and beat Cooper Rush and company. That Dallas defense better than anyone imagined. And one of the criticisms Chris Sims has of the Bengals offense now with those weapons that they use, they're not being sufficiently creative in their formations. They're not working overtime to divine mismatches. And, you know, he says Jamar Chase has two routes. It's either straight down the field or a slant. You need to find ways to use these guys creatively. And what can happen is when you have really great players, it's a temptation to just say, well, let them go do their thing. You still have to put in the time and the effort to have a very diverse playbook and a diverse game plan. It's almost like a kid playing Madden. You've got those two or three plays that you know are going to work, so you never really try the other stuff. Sometimes if you do that other stuff, you're going to even have a better result because the defense is going to be confused and confounded when you do it. So this actually, if the – if the Bengals play the way they've played the first four games, the Ravens are going to be able to figure out what they're doing and the Bengals may not have a counterpunch for it. And that may make the Ravens defense in better position for this game. Hey Mike, I know you guys on pro football talk do power rankings each week. Where do you have both of these teams in your, in your power rankings, both the Ravens and Bengals? That's a great question. I don't remember. That was two <laughs> days ago. 
I think that I have the Bengals just slightly ahead of the Ravens. And, I, you know, it's funny. People complain about it. Well, hey, you get your chance this weekend. The Ravens are playing the Bengals. I like it when two teams that are playing each other the following week are neck and neck, one and the other in the power rankings. That breaks the tie, and that resolves all doubt as to who should be higher than the other. But, you know, there's a cluster of two and two teams, and there are like maybe eight teams that are above two and two. Well, we, we've been blessed with a very exciting start to the season where there's really no one who's out of it yet. The Texans at 0-3-1, they haven't been embarrassed by anyone. They could have won every game that they were in. They almost came back and beat the Chargers. And the Eagles at 4-0, look, they look pretty good, and their schedule was very favorable, and I think that they are going to continue to be very good. But, but even then, it's not like there's a team of destiny. It felt like it was going to be the Bills early on. It really is a jumble, and, and, and I like that. We should all like that. As, as people who are supposed to know what's going on, it's very challenging because any given week I have no idea. But as a fan, it's great because any given week we have no idea. All right, so some interesting stuff there from Mike Florio. Uh, we all know he's a passionate guy and has, you know, has his opinions and all that, but if you thought he was direct on this one, Listen, there is a bigger show with the entire interview. The parts that we pulled out here was specific for this preview game matchup. We asked some questions about Lamar Jackson with Mike Florio. And as we know, he's um, he's been critical of Lamar not having an agent. And uh, I asked him about, you know, some of the Twitter back and forth he's had with Ravens fans about Lamar Jackson. And... Uh, he then got really, really fired up. He did. Go check it out. The, the episode in full is number 71 in the archives. So go check that out again. This is just you just listened to a few minutes worth of a, of a snippet from, um, you know, from him previewing the Sunday night football matchup between the Ravens and Bengals. But not only did he talk about Lamar Jackson when it comes to the agent talk or lack thereof, but Sarah, I use this as a great excuse to kind of revisit what took place in June. And that's when I tweeted out a video. I know you remember this because we were texting about it. The vault hadn't existed, by the way, at this point in time, or else we would have teed off on this and had a lot of fun. But when Lamar didn't show up for OTAs, Chris Sims teed off on Lamar and compared it to Tom Brady and the fact that he would never miss any OTAs in his early years in New England. Well, the video that I tweeted out got made its rounds through Ravens Nation, as you would expect it might. And Lamar himself found it on his timeline, quote tweeted and clapped back at Chris. And I thought Mike had some good sort of peel back the curtain kinds of of stuff juice for us on that regard as well. Yeah, there was that. And then I even pushed back a little bit because he was so directed towards the fans, which I'm I'm interested to hear what the fans have to say about that. Um, but I pushed back and I'm like, well, take the fans out of it. Didn't Lamar coming back from the offseason being a better passer and the passing game carrying this team and the fact that he's made more money, has that swayed you at all? So, you know, just teeing up those questions there. You'll have to go out to the full episode. Uh, that will be episode number 71, Bobby. Is that 71. right? 71. All right. So go check out that full interview. It gets even more passionate in that full thing. So, all right, we're going to wrap this up. And as we do so, Bobby, it is your favorite time of the show. It is predictions time. 
Yeah, this is my favorite part of the show. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I, so wow. I mean, it's been back to back weeks where we've both chosen the opposition. And unfortunately for the Ravens, uh, that's, that's come to fruition this time. I'm going to go with the Ravens, a Ravens win on Sunday night football in front of a primetime national audience. They are 14 and two, not that history matters, right? Whatever. But they're for what it's worth in the John Harbaugh era, they are 14 and two when rocking these black on black drip jerseys. So just take that as you will. But in terms of the game itself, Let's see if this cover two shell that I would expect the, the Ravens secondary, the Ravens defense to play in under Mike McDonald can limit the playmakers, can can limit the three-headed monster, not be beaten and embarrassed over the top as they were last year, as they have been in recent weeks, of course, in the second half against Miami. And let's see if these numbers, let's dare Cincinnati to beat Baltimore on the ground because the numbers show you they aren't capable of doing that through four weeks. We all know that every team is capable of doing it. It's these are the best athletes in the entire world. And we know Joe Mixon has a great track record of getting after the Ravens, but the numbers tell you otherwise through four weeks. So I'm going to go 27, 24 Ravens in a game. That's going to come down to the wire could very well be, uh, you know, what's required is is a Lamar Jackson game winning drive and maybe even, you know, Justin Tucker playing an integral role in in a low scoring sub 30 point game. Well, I love your optimism that the defense can keep the Bengals to 24 points. And hey, they kept they kept the Bills to 20 points for a majority of the game until the end there. So, you know, maybe they can do that again and finish. I'm hopeful of that, but I'm hopeful of that the way John Harbaugh is hopeful that Bateman will play this weekend. <laughs> you know what I mean? That it's like, I would love it. And if it had, you know, and if like, to me at this point, it's like a miracle, just given the way things have gone down this season, I just don't have that confidence yet. Um, as I said, I feel like if the Ravens are going to win this, it's going to have to be where the offense starts hot, stays hot and finishes at the end. But I'm just so nervous that, you know, even if the offense falters once or twice on drives that that, that the the defense, you know, the or the Bengals offense will will take advantage. So, you know, this is going to be brutal because the Ravens have lost two home games. They've lost two AFC games and it's going to be brutal to lose an AFC North game. But that is what I'm predicting will happen. Um, I just feel like if Burrow gets the is has the ball last, the 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 Bengals are going to win, and I see that happening, thirty one to thirty. All right, well, we will revisit <sighs> these as always. Come late, late Sunday night, even Monday morning, depending on when we start our instant reaction. Up, uh, that is that is going to be brutal. That is going to be brutal. Most of our listeners will be sleeping while we record that. So. Uh, but yes, we will wrap it up there. Those are our predictions. Let's hope that Bobby is right and I am wrong. I would love to be. Um, thank you for joining us once again. A big thank you again to Mike Florio, who joined us from Pro Football Talk. Again, check out his new book, Playmakers. And then as always, join us here again. We've got another Morning Vault coming out Friday morning. If you haven't been caught up, go ahead and check out the others from earlier this week. And then join us so if you want to if you want to be up late with us late Sunday night or early Monday morning, we'll take it either way. We will have our instant reaction. Talk to you then here on the Ravens Vault. <laughs>